With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on Cinephiles Radio. For some reason, our radio station is having technical difficulties, so we're not, not getting any... Oh, there you Music sound. Ah, uh, everything is well. <laughs> Let's flip me out there for a second, I'll be honest with you. It is live radio. I did get here in enough time. Anyways, let's get back to business at hand. We got the great Ryan T. Husk today. He's joining us with some favorable stories about some sci-fi geekhood. He's speaking to David Haverty. David Haverty put together a werewolf musical. I really want to talk to him about that. And that's original. What was your week like? You hear about all the great news that came out recently? Oh, no, just bad news, right? <laughs> so it has been a, a pretty, pretty weird week of uh, some pretty weird to awful news. Uh, we've gone down to brass tacks. Uh, Robin Williams passed away recently. I never talked about that. And here's the interesting thing about Robin Williams passing away. And I did want to talk about that today. I usually like to stay very, very positive. But I would like to talk about this a little bit. I was talking to somebody very recently about Robin Williams dying. And their opinion immediately was that Robin Williams is weak. No, this is what he contributed. No, this is what he was like as a human being. No, this is what he was like as an actor. This was like as a person, this was like as a philanthropist, none of that stuff. Just, he's weak. If you can quantify a position so cleanly, then God bless you, you're awesome. But I, I, am, I am certainly not that um, confident in the way this universe works that, uh, that that's the case. Especially when you see how much Robin Williams has added to the universe compared to other people. Now, we're not trying to compare people to people, but in all seriousness, when you put Robin Williams in a room full of 10 other people, you see how much he's contributed to the universe. That's an incredible amount. And to say the man is weak, after all he's contributed to the universe, to the world, is um, it's pretty kind of dry, pretty ignorant. Suicide is a tough subject, I don't have the answer for it. I don't. But I got to say that it's it doesn't necessarily come out of weakness. I would say it's it's a lack of light, maybe. I don't want to guess. It's not my position. But it was a horrible thing. It was a horrible thing. But the nice thing that came out of it, it was very interesting. I was watching House, and it was I think it was the sixth season. And they asked him, you know, what, what, what inspired you to be a doctor? And he said, uh, Patch Adams. And that's from 2007. And, and maybe a day later, I watched a Family Guy episode where whoever Peter Griffin touched turned into Robin Williams. And it just reminds me so, so much how much Robin Williams has affected pop culture. In World of Warcraft recently, they put little Easter eggs 
along the uh, along the world of World of Warcraft uh, in 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 honor of Robin Williams. One was I'll just give you one. One was an egg split in half. It was really nice. It showed a little home, a little couch, a, a lamp. It was really sweet. The Mork and Mindy days. So Robin Williams dying was a, was a huge blow, I would say, to the uh, the comedic world because he was a giant. He was a legend. He's done more comedically, more acting, more philanthropy than maybe ninety comedians combined into one, and I don't think I'd be having any arguments on that one. But I'm happy. On the, on the slap side, I'm happy. Because we got Robin Williams. We got him in Happy Days when he fought off with Fonzie. That was awesome. We had him in Mork and Mindy. And then we had him in everything else, you know, including the genie from Aladdin. So, in these, in these situations, it's much better to be happy about what happened in the universe compared to what, what, what is bad. So... I like to give honor to Robin Williams on a day like this. Now, other sad news that we had Joan Rivers who just passed away. And I don't know if you know much about Joan Rivers, but Joan Rivers really created the avenue for women in comedy. Before Jay Leno took over the Tonight Show, it was it was Joan Rivers who was penned to uh, take over. I think in the end, the producers or the powers that be, as we call them, didn't necessarily think that a Tonight Show with a woman being the frontrunner would hold up. I believe she wrote down in her memoirs that it broke her heart, but it's not unexpected in a, in a, in a world full of snakes, <laughs> as she, she would most likely call it. But she paved the way for her. You know, I would say every female comedian today, you know, I mean, of course, Lucille Ball and, and all the great comedians before that created, paved the way, but uh, Joan Rivers is, is the one we're speaking about today. Not Shirley Temple Black, not, not any of the other female comedians who just destroyed this planet with comedy, which is interesting. It brings me, brings me to an interesting point that I was talking to somebody um, earlier, which was uh, the English have a, a very interesting avenue, at least a couple of English um, speakers have a point of view, which is that women cannot be funny, or women are not innately funny or comedic. And one of the reasonings is that women didn't have to suffer through having to impress women, having to overcome certain boundaries of like weight, race, whatever you want to say, that they had to go through all these things. Um, I don't think so. If that is your logic, if your logic is that men have gone, have gone through more stuff that is comedy-based, which is why they're more comedic, then that's pretty funny. <laughs> because I would say that women have had to laugh more than men have had to laugh for the past 10,000 years. I mean, can you imagine how many queens have sat there as their husbands have said, the dumbest things in the universe as commandments. And she went, oh my gosh. And just laughed. Just laughed it off. Behind every powerful man is a woman who thinks he's an idiot. 
is my favorite quote of all time. But it does remind me that, like, look, look at Queen Elizabeth. She needs to have a sense of humor. She doesn't have a sense of humor that England is going to fall. The UK is going to fall. The United Kingdom is going to fall. Queen Elizabeth needed to have a sense of humor, and she did. So, and also when you see the president of Australia, she's incredible. She's amazing. But she's got a, she's got a sense of humor. She has to have a sense of humor. She's surrounded by men. So if she doesn't have a sense of humor, I mean, it's pretty much over for her. We're very sad to see Joan Rivers pass away. I think she would call my my show atrocious or something like that. It would be nice to get that from her. (laughs) Now, on the show front, I'm still watching House. I'm watching House right now. I'm really enjoying that show a great deal. Uh, I believe that somebody said earlier that one of the problems they had with the eight seasons of House, and by the way, that's the biggest problem we have in American television, is that we put on shows way too long. Eight seasons is way too long for a show, even for House. And it's a good show. The problem is, is that Seventh to eighth season, they're really trying hard to make it different, and it's very difficult to make something like that different. Is it? Yes. Do they try really hard? Yes. Is it obvious? Yes. But it's a great show. It's on Netflix right now. Give it a shot. Give it a go. First season is awesome. Don't watch it while you're eating. I tried a couple times. It's not very good. But it's a great show. I really enjoy it. And if any of you are watching MasterChef, go Leslie. Go Team Leslie. All right, I don't want to waste any more of your time. Let's welcome the uh, fantastic, the magnificent, the man who we didn't have enough time for last week, Ryan T. Hello, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing today, Steve? Fantastic. Well, we didn't have enough time last week to have a chat. Uh, we started getting the geekdom, and then we kind of uh, lost track of time, and, and the show had to end. But uh, I wanted to get back to uh, get back to you and, and give you a little little extra time and uh, talk a little well, bit about your I, life. Well, first of all, I feel like I learned uh, something listening in on the first fifteen minutes. I learned about uh, Joan Rivers that was going to be the uh, host of the Tonight Show. I didn't know that. That was really cool. Oh yeah. As you know, she, one, of, one of the things about Joan Rivers is she, she always stepped in for, she was the one person to step in for Johnny Carson. And she oh, was a right? shoe in. Yeah, she was a shoe in for, for Showrunner. And then Jay Leno came in, and I really don't know an extraordinary amount about, about the politics, but, you know, it was a time where women showrunners were, were not really there at all. So she was passed up and he was given to Jay Leno. So there was a, a bit of animosity for a long time and then it was let go because she just needed to continue mm-hmm. her career. Yeah. But that's interesting. Yeah, also, hey, let me ask you a question. How does that, how does that relate to you as an actor? I mean, I know how it relates to me as a, as, as a writer because I feel like I can never write for this human being ever again because they're dead. But how does it feel as a writer uh, or as an actor when you see some of these legends pass away? Um, 
Does it have a, a deep impact on you as, as a person who's creating a resume in a world that these people are important? Or is it just important because it's part of pop culture, or is it just important, period? You know, honestly, um, it doesn't really affect me that much, to be, to be honest. I mean, I feel like if it's a, a sudden or tragic death, uh, like Robin Williams, for example, that's, that's pretty sudden. Um, but it's, it's less tragic in the way that he was able to make his imprint on the world. He was able to make people laugh for decades. He did give us tons of memories and tons of fun. And, you know, it wasn't like an up-and-coming star that just dies and you wish that they had more time to, to you know, send their message out to the world. And uh, I think I saw, I saw a quote that's very close to um, don't be sad because it's over, be happy that it happened. You know, and that was in reference right. to Robin Williams. And, that, and that's great because, yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't know how much more he had to give. He wasn't working very much. Um, personally, right. I wish he'd lived to be 100 years old. But I feel like we're, we're very fortunate that, that it happened at all, you know. And, and I did see that Family Guy episode. When you were talking about that, it cracked me up. Because I, when you're watching the, that Family Guy episode, you're sitting there thinking like, oh, wow, that's right, he's in this too, and this, and this, and they just they right. didn't run out of Robin Williams' characters that were extremely recognizable, you know? <laughs> and they, they're also repeating themselves after a while. Yeah, yeah, but they, but they knocked out a good 15 or 20 of them. Yes, they did. That was pretty but, funny, uh, you know? It, 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 it's, it's interesting. It's kind of like buying a new car, and then all of a sudden you see your car being driven by everybody in the streets. You know, uh, Robin yeah. Williams passes away, and then you, then you watch a couple of things, and you realize, oh, my gosh, it, every show I'm watching right now is almost making a reference to this human being or to anything he's contributed to. Yeah, and everybody has a, a favorite few Robin Williams performances. You know, I think mine, mine was uh, probably the Dead Poets Society and Aladdin. I think those were, were and I, I like Good Morning Vietnam. I saw that when I was a kid. You know, I think those were probably my favorite characters of his, personally. Yeah, those are great ones, Captain My Cat. Those are great ones. When I first saw Dead Poets Society, I, I, was, I was more of a college snob, so I, I didn't really like it the first time. And then I saw it the second time, Ooh. and you realized you couldn't, have done, you couldn't have done this even if you wanted to. So yeah. it was it was a pretty fantastic movie. Yeah, he was, great. he was a great actor. I grew up with him on... Um, when I was a child, growing up in the 70s, I, I saw him on uh, first time on Happy Days, uh, playing Mork, oh. Mork the Orc, fighting the Fonzie. And that was awesome. Oh. He, fought the, he fought the Fonzie in an in in uh, invisible laser battle. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the Fonzie won. And next you know that uh, he had his own show. He had Mork and Mindy right after that. And that was, that was a fantastic show. And that was a, yeah. a huge part of, of uh, like our daily lineup of watching TV. Because if you're born in the '70s, you had your Three's Company, your Mork and Mindy, and then I don't know, maybe you had one other show after that. But it mo- mostly was Three's Company and, and Mork and Mindy, which was your was your that's, nighttime. That's night, all we night needed. Shows. That actually, <laughs> oh, no, was what? Three's Company was, was my that? favorite. Watching those reruns when I was a kid. Oh really? Yeah, I wanted to be Mor- Jack I, Tripper. <laughs> <laughs> Who didn't want to be Jack Tripper? You know, it's funny. You know, the last, a lot of people, are, right? Well, I, you know, I, I would, I would think that at least lesbians would want to be Jack Tripper. <laughs> you 
was it was interesting about Three's Company. The the last the last episode of Three's Company had Lucille Ball giving a a summary of the show That's of right. Three's Company. Yeah, did you remember that? I do remember. It was that, incredible. Man. Yeah, there, it was very interesting when they when they introduced the second um, second cast member, the blonde girl, the second time around. Uh, that was such an embarrassing moment in, in American television. I don't know if you remember that, but Jack Tripper like Cindy. spills like ink ink. On, yeah, Cindy spills ink on her on her shirt during a party, and then everything gets quiet, and then it becomes oh, no, very very third, awkward. That was the third that? one. That was Terry. Terry. That was the third one. Terry. <laughs> Thank God I have you on the show. Look at that. Yeah, I've seen a w- lot of was that run. that was a very awkward moment in American television. Yeah, it sure was. So, so tell me, you know, so we were talking about your resume last time, and your resume is sci-fi heavy. And, and I love this stuff because it, it's very difficult to get into these circles because they're very coveted. Because once you're part of these circles, you're, you're, you are definitely recognized. Was that, mm-hmm. was that a conscious effort on your hand to go after projects that were more sci-fi related? Or was that just something inside your blood? You know, um, it's, and you're right first of all, but it, it's definitely 50-50 for me because, you know, I am, a, I am a big Star Trek fan. Some might even call me a nerd. They'd be right. Um, but at the same time, so, so of course, you know, it, it's, it's kind of your dream growing up to be in the thing that you liked as a kid or, you know. Um, but at the same time, when I've gone to, like, Star Trek conventions and when I've followed their career, I've realized that the most loyal fans reside in the sci-fi community. And within that, the most loyal fans are Star Trek fans. And, you know, I would see, I would go to these conventions and I would see that there's a guy who played a character in one episode 15 years ago and he's on stage talking about, you know, his, his seven and a half minutes of fame. And people are asking questions like, what are you in next? Where can we see you? What CD are you recording that I could buy? Are you writing a book that we could buy? You know, I want to get your action figure. And I'm thinking, these are the most loyal fans. God bless them. They're like, they, they will do any, they will follow you to the ends of the earth for the rest of your life if you are in a Star Trek episode. And so, of course, yes. you're thinking, wow, this, I got to get into this group here, man. They are awesome. <laughs> They're like the best fans in the world. They they are fantastic. Have you have you found that? In, have you gone to any conventions and been recognized or anything like that yet? Um, I'm starting to get recognized. Yes, I I haven't gotten the. There are no current uh, TV series for Star Trek right now. There hasn't been for right. I don't know how long it's been. Maybe seven years or so. And um, yeah. and there are just the movies going on. And I've gotten to be in the, the most recent movies, but very small parts. So the people that recognize me are the ones that are watching the, uh, the independent Star Trek films or uh, the YouTube videos I would do about the Star Trek conventions. And, uh, and you know, right. they're always just like the nicest people, you know. So those, those are the people that you want to recognize you anyway. Those are the people that you want to know you because they're, they're good people. I very much enjoyed your YouTube channel. How can everybody else find your YouTube channel? Should they just type in your name in, in uh, YouTube, or 
Do you have a direct, direct yeah. link to your, uh, to your Well, my personal, my personal YouTube channel would be uh, youtube.com slash theincrediblehusk. Um, and the one that I did all of the, uh, the videos on, uh, you know, like the Star Trek convention videos and the travel videos and all those was uh, youtube.com slash inprovence. And so uh, that's, right. that's where I got most of the views and the viewership was from that one. But now I'm going to be focusing more on my own personal one. Oh, what, your, your own personal one. So what do you have going on? Well, um, I don't know. That's that? just, well, when I'm, I'm saying when I do get back into doing the YouTube stuff, I'm going to be doing it on my personal one rather than the in Provence one. As it stands right now, I've got a long queue of things I need to be editing to put up there, but I'm not sure if that's going to be happening anytime soon because I'm actually busy doing uh, movies and shorts and such and web series. Well, your your whole IMDb is is just littered with shows to movies to shows to movies, and that's that's a very interesting thing because in the, maybe in the 1980s that was impossible. You'd only see either movies or TV shows, but I see Bones, Star Trek, GI Joe, The Rise of Cobra, and Deadliest Warrior with Sean Piccinino. So, yeah, that's a that's a that's a really large gambit of projects there that, that go from different directions. How does that how does that feel? And because I, I know that actors are in, well, at least a portion of actors can be insecure because it is, it is an insecure market to a certain extent. It's almost like being in, 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 uh, in stocks. Um, when you go from the TV shows to the movies to the TV shows to the movies, does that ever concern you or is that, is that just work is a good thing and that's what I do? Yeah, um, it's definitely the latter. Uh, it, it's kind of like, I think a friend of mine said it best that he said, you know, I hate auditioning. The only thing I hate more than auditioning is not auditioning. <laughs> and, it's, and it's so true because, like, as actors, we're really just, you can you kind of look ahead and sometimes you might say, ah, oh, this is confusing or this is stressful or I'm nervous for whatever it happens to be, but anything is better than not working. You know, and so you always take it with a grain of salt, and you always feel lucky when you when you are working on something, even if it's just in the back of the, your mind. You're feeling lucky that you're not just sitting on your couch or on your computer looking for auditions. You know that you're actually working, and then that so the stress of finding work is diminished because you're in the process of working. You know, right? Let's go back to the let's go back to the sci-fi world because this, this is very intriguing to me. So so you sure. you, you definitely can see how the pop culture of sci-fi is very integrated into our society here. Uh, where, is, where is your future plans leading into when you look at the sci-fi world? Are you trying to get deeper into the sci-fi community? Is, is that a plan of yours? Well, uh, first of all, I'd say that the reason the sci-fi culture is so ingrained in us right now is because, come on, we're living in the future right now. It's 2014. I mean, just the name... just just saying, that sounds like the beginning of a movie right there. In the year 2014, <laughs> cell phones, what, you know, I don't know. But, so I feel like we are living in the future. <laughs> but, um, but to answer your question, uh, yeah, I mean, I like sci-fi. Like, like I said, I initially was just very focused on Star Trek. I really wasn't, you know. I don't watch that much TV, so I didn't see all of these great sci-fi shows. But 
once I started doing these Star Trek things, you start, I started meeting like other people and other sci-fi things and working in similar sci-fi projects. So now it's kind of expanding my horizons. Uh, like I told you last week, I only just saw Battlestar Galactica for the first time a year ago. And um, I still haven't seen Firefly, and I know I should, and I know it's not a big commitment because it's like 13 episodes. And uh, what are the other big ones out there? I don't think I'll ever watch Doctor Who. That is insane to me. (laughs) That is crazy to me. Are you you crazy? You're driving me nuts. Yes, I am. You know what? You're making me want to go to your house and, like, give you the DVDs, put them in your DVD player, sit you down, and, like, cook you dinner and lunch for the next week so that you're finished. Watch the show. Well, if you really you know, want to do it's that, funny about I would love to eat. <laughs> you know what's funny? I would love to do that. If, if, you, if, you, if you want, I love that show. What's that called? It's Portlandia. They, they did a, a skit called One, One More Time or One More Episode. Yeah, yeah, Battle I Park saw Alaska. that one. That was hilarious. They, it's so funny. Did you see that one? Yeah, yeah, I did. Just one more episode, and they lose their job, they lose their house, they lose everything. And that's pretty much how the show goes. Um, the part that but kills you, me is... You know, what's interesting is... Go ahead. Uh, I was just saying, the part that kills me is when Fred Armisen goes, it's just so good. <laughs> yes. It is. It is good. I I remember. Um, I remember Sean w- did not want to watch the show, and I I want him to watch the show so bad. I love the show. I'm like, watch the show, watch the show. Like, no, 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 no. I I don't have any time. And obvi- obviously, he didn't have enough time. And then uh, later on, they were doing Blood and Chrome, and they were casting for it, and he was going for one of the parts. And so oh, I played wow. a, a young Adama against his part. No way. And then he's like, I love this show. This show's in- this show's incredible. I'm like, right. You should have been in the show a long time ago. Wait, hang on a second. But, uh, you but, play but the, Young Adama? No, no, no. Uh, when he was casting, when he was trying out for casting for uh, for the show, uh, he needed to bounce off another person. I don't tell him I hate doing it, but <laughs> he needed somebody it. else off the character. So I played a Young Adama, so I I try to de- uh, try to use the voice, you know, the Young Adama. Mm-hmm. You know. But uh, you know, <laughs> go, going back to the side thing, you, you went from Star Trek. And then, and then you worked with a couple of the cast members from Battlestar Galactica, right? Yeah. Um, there's a, uh, an independently uh, but professionally produced uh, Star Trek film called Prelude to Axanar. I associate produced on that. And there were uh, two. There was uh, Colonel Ty. I'm sorry, Colonel Ty will be in, in the next one, Michael Hogan. Uh, in Prelude to Axnar, there was uh, Kate Vernon, who will also be in the second one. She played Ellen Ty. And uh, Richard Hatch plays our outstanding villain Klingon, and he will also be in the next one. And I'll tell you, man. And who those, you, those who's going to be played by? The last character. Who would you say he was going to be played by? Oh, that's uh, Richard Hatch. And Richard Hatch was oh. the original Apollo in the the original Battlestar Galactica series, yes, and he is and he is uh, Tom Zarek in the newer one. That's right. Oh, somebody who knows their shows. Look at that, Tom Tom, Tom Zarek. I mean, when he came onto the show, it was it was a very interesting thing. Have you seen the, the entire show uh, all the way through? Yes, but let me tell you something. I just got a message from my girlfriend that says she's listening, and she's only on season three. So let's. It's only talking to until the beginning of season three. You know, like, 
like what you did with Sean, forcing him to watch Battlestar, that's what I'm doing with her. I'm like, you have to watch it. And one of the most glorious moments in my one of the most glorious moments in my life was sometime at the beginning of season two was when we were watching it, you know, I was like holding her head, forcing her to watch this thing. And she turns to me right. and she's like, oh my God, Battlestar's gotten so good. And I was like, yes. Yes. <laughs> Score one for the nerds. <laughs> Kate, Kate Vernon. Kate Vernon is an excellent, excellent actress. Yeah. You know, she, I think she shocked a lot of people. And we won't say too much because we know what happens to her later on. But uh, yeah. Kate, Kate, and by the way, this is not a good time for spoilers, boys and girls. This show has been out for, for a couple years now. So watch <laughs> the show so I can talk about it. But, <laughs> but Kate Vernon plays Ellen Ty. And, I mean, I mean, you yeah, sacrificed yeah. your existence to, to watch all the shows. And like, come on, guys, catch up to this, please. And you were talking about Richard Hatch as well. But anyways, Kate Vernon, who played Ellen Ty, that was brilliant. When you look at how she played the character in the first two seasons, she's an, I mean, she's, you write her off, I mean, pretty much. Uh, she's totally. a tart. She's a, you know, she's a, a segue to another subject matter a lot of times. She, she often gets mm-hmm. them in more trouble than is necessary. And then when you see her transition, oh. that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. And then... Uh... Right, And then I really liked Michael Hogan in that whole thing where he's just, you know, he's so gruff with everybody else, but he's just got this soft spot for this woman, you know, and he's just, uh, you know, it's just like he would do anything for her at any point, no matter how horrible she was to him, you know, forever, you know. I I really like that dynamic between the two of them. Michael Hogan is incredible. I mean, you know, I didn't didn't necessarily like his... uh, his is acting in in, in an episode of Smallville right after Basil Clark was over. But I love mm. seeing him because I love his character. You know, Colonel Ty is 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 a is what you want beside you at all times if you're inside that episode or inside that world. Uh, but mm. I, I can't get his his uh, voice out of my my brain sometimes. You fracking yeah yeah get out of my fracking way. <laughs> You fracking I idiot. Just better I love better. that stuff. You know what's funny is I didn't even know frack was a word until I came to Colorado, and then I, and then I discovered that frack, fracking rocks or fracking the ground was actually a subject matter. Really? Yeah. I, I thought that was the uh, I thought that was the excuse for the F word in Battlestar Galactica. Well, I'm pretty sure. Sh- so, I would so guess you- that it's unrelated. I, I would guess that it's maybe unrelated. <laughs> maybe they, they were just coming up with something, you know, as, you know, as like a euphemism or, you know, a way to cuss without cussing, you know, like how they say gods right, instead of right. God, singular. Well, I thought, I thought the show was a, was a piece of genius. If you see the front runner, the front runner created like, you know, Voyager, Deep Space Six. Uh, when, when, you, when you see the, the world that he created, that essentially what you're watching are aliens trying to find us. Uh, that's, an yeah. inc- that's an incredible show. And, and I like... And my, you know, the people I know know why I watch the show continually. I like to watch the show at least three or four times a year. And one of the reasons why, it's very much like Lost wow. to me, where the beginning, the middle, and the ending show you a progress of character analyzation. It goes into the scientific. It goes into the religious. It goes into the biological. It goes into the, all mm-hmm. the different perspectives of sci-fi. And it really captivates your imagination. It doesn't give you the answers in the end, but you don't want the answers. And very much like... You know, like nude photos, not to bring in any weird subjects up, but 
you know, you don't really want certain things, even though you want certain things. So the answers at the end of Battlestar Galactica to me were perfect. So mm-hmm. how did you feel about the about yeah. the ending without spoiling it for your wife? Well, um, I'll tell you. For me, um, now the reason I watched Battlestar was because all of my most trusted nerd friends, you know, like the ones that really like Star Trek, like myself, you know, and they said you got to watch BSG, right. you got to watch Battlestar, you got to. So finally, I just gave in. I trusted them. That being said, those same people were the ones that said, hey, you know, when you're done watching it, tell me what you think about the ending. Because the ending was pretty controversial in a lot of people's minds. A lot of people were very, very dissatisfied with the ending, or they didn't like it, or they, they thought it was ridiculous. And others thought that it was, right. it was perfectly packaged and neatly tied up in a bow. Um, for me, I would say that I was about... 70% that I, I thought it was great, you know, maybe 80% where I was just like, yep, perfect little ending, everything's great, awesome, cool idea, never thought of it before, terrific. But there was a small, there were a couple, a couple aspects without getting into details that I was like, what, that doesn't make sense, you know. Um, right. But other than that, I, I, was, I was more on the side of the people that, that enjoyed the ending, that thought it was a good, a good ending that leaves you, you know, it, it gives you kind of a full circle and it, and it completes it, you know, it, it packages it nicely and says, here's four seasons of our show, you know. Although I did think it kind of went on right. almost a half a season too long. I feel like that half of the, the, the second half of the fourth season kind of, I felt like they were running out of ideas and they were just trying to top themselves. It was getting a little apocalyptic, and when when things get a little apocalyptic, I know things things are kind of running out of ideas. But just like Lost, like in season two, I'm really glad they were able to get past that. And that's that's the difficult part of certain shows is they can't they can't get past um, certain I don't know pitholes. When you look at a show like House, it runs eight seasons. It's it's a powerhouse, so certain things you cannot change. But when you look yeah. at a thing like BSG or Firefly, they change things drastically. Or even Star Trek now, when they change the timeline, now that's changing things okay. drastically, uh, right? Uh, you know yeah, what's yeah. interesting is a lot of people have not yeah. seen. Go ahead, please. Oh, I was just going to say, and you know who hasn't seen Lost yet? This guy. You haven't seen Lost yet? Oh no, my gosh! I, I know, oh. I know. I haven't seen any shows. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen any of them, but I, I can't wait to talk to you when you have seen it. It's, uh, it's great. You're gonna love it. You're gonna you're gonna watch the show. and You're gonna be like, I should have been on this show. Well, that that would just make but, me sad. Did, did, <laughs> <laughs> no, you just you just pick a show just like that in the future, I and mean, they'll they'll come out with a different name the show. Uh, you know what's very interesting, and, and, and let's get off the Battlestar Galactica and let's go into some other subject matters. But wait, wait, I don't know if you ever saw the uh, webisodes, but uh, Felix Gaeta. And the webisodes was excellent. Uh, they had a couple no of webisodes I that I didn't see. You those. didn't see those. They fill no, they fill in the gap. My list now. Please, I I want to I want to spoil something for you so bad, but I'm not going to. <laughs> when you watch the web, I want to. So, I mean, trust me, I want to just smash you right now. But but when you when you <laughs> watch it. the webisodes, please, please let me know what you think because I I, I know you're going to love it. But it changes some of the perspectives of the characters. And one in, one in particular is Felix Gaeta, Alessandro Giuliano. 
if you if you look at his character and and what his character really was like behind closed doors, um, he was different. He was different as a human being. It was it was uh, quite amazing. So watch the episodes, everybody out there. Uh, I see we have a nice audience out there today. Now, thank you very much for listening today. Watch the episodes of Battlestar Galactica. Okay, Ryan. Yeah, I'm so go home back. I'm looking it up right now. It's called Battlestar Galactica: The Resistance. Correct. And yes, got, there's two and, sets of episodes. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, I will check that out. Yeah, they'll, they'll be on IMDb. They're on IMDb. They're on YouTube. Uh, the first place I saw them was on IMDb. Hmm. So you'll oh, look. Yeah, yeah. So, so you have a you so you have a lot of shorts in production. Uh, not not counting turning tables, which is a feature, and when, when the figure breaks, which is a feature as well. Uh, so let's mm-hmm. let's go to let's let's go back a little bit to uh, Star Trek uh, uh, Renegades. So Star Trek Renegades, okay, what, what can we what can we expect from this? Now Renegades, this is a different one. Not this is not the one with the uh, with the uh, Battlestar Galactica actors. Right. This is um, St- Star Trek Renegades is a movie. It's got a lot. Actually, it does have one Battlestar Galactica actor from the original Battlestar, which was the original Boomer. Uh, Herb. Oh yes. Uh, what is his name? I can't remember. But anyway, he was the original Boomer. Yeah, I know he died. Really nice guy, yeah. really friendly fellow. Um, but so that's that's one Battlestar connection. Uh, Herbert Jefferson <laughs> is his name. Now we also have a lot of uh, we also have Edward Furlong in there. From uh, Terminator, oh. uh, yes. we've got Gary Graham from Star Trek and from Alien Nation, and a bunch of other Star Trek actors, including uh, Walter Koenig, who played Chekhov in the original series of Star Trek. So that is awesome. What Renegades, what Renegades is, is it basically takes place uh, a little bit beyond the the final series of Star Trek that we've seen, which was Voyager. And it's right. got a few characters reprising their roles, like Tuvok from Voyager and Echeb from Voyager and um, Chekhov from the original series. And it's uh, kind of a um, – it's kind of like a mystery, you know, one of those whodunits, but at the same time there's a lot of action. It's a political thriller kind of thing where – so the very fabric of the Federation is being, you know, being torn apart or undermined from the inside, you know, so it's kind of a, a spy thriller, thing like that. Right. They're currently working on post-production, and I don't know exactly when it'll be done, but I would assume sometime at the beginning of next year. That's insane. I mean, they, considering that a lot of us are Trekkies, and a lot of us are, I mean, and Star Wars fans, I, mean, I don't care what anybody says. If you like Star Wars, you like Star Trek. Uh, Star Trek Renegades—that sounds incredible. Why have we not heard about this uh, this, this great TV movie being made? And uh, what what can we do to to actually bring attention to this project? Well, you know, um, I think the reason we haven't really you hadn't really heard about the community is that it's just it, it's coming up now. Now it's blowing up. But honestly, I didn't know about any of this stuff till maybe maybe a year and a half ago was when I first started finding out that there are people out there trying to produce Star Trek things, um, and so it's crowdfunded. So one of the right. things I realized when I was trying to, you know, 
get the word out there for Axanar, the one with the Battlestar Galactica actors and Star Trek actors. Um, now, that, that's right. totally professionally produced. It, it's completely, you know, produced by professionals in the industry. But we still right. need to raise the money to get it done. And what I realized when I was looking, you know, for, for ways to promote is that hardly anybody knows about it because it's not mainstream. So that, that is the biggest task for us is reaching the people because most of the people, once find out about it, they say, yeah, I would love to donate, you know, 5 or 10 or $20 to see a new Star Trek thing. I've been dying to see new Star Trek stuff or a new Star Trek series. Right. And a lot of the people, once the, the crowdfunding campaign is over, the worst thing I, I hear is when people say, oh, man, I totally would have donated to that, but it's over already, you know. So that is the biggest challenge is, is reaching the people is right. getting – because even if only 1% of Star Trek fans would donate their time and money into something like that, well, what, are, what is there, like 100 million Star Trek fans out there at least? That 1% right. of that is still a million, you know? So, right. so that is the biggest challenge. But it, it is definitely growing, and people are becoming more and more aware of it. You know, that is, that is one of my problems about the Star Trek uh, property itself. When, when, and I love J.J. Abrams. But when he took over the Star Trek movie, they, they made a deal that they would not make another TV series until he was finished with one, two, or three of the Star Trek films. And that was written Correct. into his contract when he, when he wrote and directed those films. That's a good thing on one hand, because it doesn't mess up the timeline or, or go into his world and you can restart Star Trek in a nice way, all that stuff. On the other hand, people think that the show itself is dead or cannot be revived, which is completely false. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and the, the sad part about that is is that there's a good chance there might be a fourth movie, uh, and so we might not be seeing the Star Trek uh, series until 2020. You know, and that's just now for those, those, those people in your audience, the people in your audience that don't care about Star Trek, they're saying, "Yeah, so what?" But <laughs> I mean, the, but the, for those the people in my are, audience care. That's why that's why they want to listen to you talk. They care about Star Trek and they want to see more Star Trek stuff, including myself because I I grew up with Star Trek. Star, as a writer, Star Trek Twilight Zone, these two shows based on quantum physics, quantum mechanics, uh these shows are the ones that give you a lit, litany of ideas as a writer that things are boundless. Things are bound you you don't have to fit within the lines. You can go outside the lines and still make an excellent show or an excellent story. The Twilight Zone and Star Trek were those great shows. It's sad to see that happening. But you, but you, you, even after Renegades, you have another thing going on. You have Star Trek Horizon, where you play an admiral, right? Yeah. And that's filming right now. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll tell you. Uh, one, one quick piece of trivia for you that I just realized is, uh, going back to Star Trek Renegades for a second, is we, we shot Star Trek Renegades in the same studio that shot Firefly. So we got to actually shoot some scenes inside, what, what was the ship's name? Uh, Serenity or something like that? Yes. Uh, yeah, Wait, which so we got to shoot uh, in Firefly. We got to shoot some of the scenes yes. in, in, inside the ship, you know, from, from Firefly, which was a lot of fun for most people. Really? I'd never seen it before, yeah. yeah still and around. you've never seen, the, got, ladies and gentlemen, go to Ryan T. Husk's Facebook page and message him to watch Firefly, considering the fact it's only eight hours of sci-fi show. You will never regret it. You know, you're like my friend in high school who wouldn't eat a Twinkie. 
It just drove me nuts. Like, eat the damn Twinkie. I won't eat the Twinkie. Eat the Twinkie. It's just a Twinkie. You're, you're going to love Firefly. If you, if you, I hope there's a happy ending. Poor. I hope he ended up eating the Twinkie and saying, you're right, it was delicious. <laughs> he never ate the Twinkie. But he is you know, nobody can work. talk about a Twinkie without me thinking of Ghostbusters. <laughs> I write. <laughs> you know, it's funny. But, uh, you know, we're going to think we're going to think of Ghostbusters in the future. They're going to think of Zombieland. Yeah, yeah. Or because uh, in Zombieland, he was he was searching for a Twinkie throughout the entire throughout the entire movie. That's true. I'd forgotten about that. That's really I remember that. I really liked that movie, honestly. Uh, Zombieland. Yeah. I thought that was really good. But uh, going back to your original question about uh, Star Trek Horizon, yeah, I'm playing a uh, a Romulan admiral, so that was uh, that was really fun because who doesn't love playing aliens? I mean, you get you get yeah. alien makeup put on you, and you can now become something completely different, and it helps you to be a you know to get into a different character when you're looking at yourself in prosthetics. Right. By the way, uh, Tim Vitito and Lisa Hansel did the, uh, the makeup and the, uh, the sculpting for the, the ears and the forehead piece for me on uh, Star Trek Horizon, and they are really good. They do a lot of sci-fi um, makeup and effects, props and prosthetics. They have a company called Impact FX, so you can check that out, or you can just go on IMDb and look at the credits, and you'll see who's, who's doing that. But anyway... Uh, I did, yeah, I was the Romulan Admiral for a fellow named Tommy Kraft, who is doing Star Trek Horizon, and this is a kid, I swear, I think he's like 24 or 25, he lives in Detroit, and he's like some kind of computer whiz, like he's doing all these, all these visual effects by himself, he's, he's wow. sewing all of the wardrobe by himself, he's putting together the wardrobes and all of the effects, and it looks terrific. I, I don't even know. When I was 24, I think I was still watching The Simpsons or something. Stupid. Right. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, things that make you feel stupid sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's incredible. So you play Admiral Varric in that. And what's interesting is Varric is, is a recycled name a lot of times in the Star Trek universe. I've heard it several, several times. Oh, really? Uh, how hard was that? Yeah, how... I, I heard it on, on Voyager. I heard it on, I believe, on Voyager. And if my audience, if you can correct me, please, write in, call in, type in. Correct me, please. I would love to okay. know where I'm wrong on that one. But, you know what? Uh, if you need Star Trek correction, I'm your guy. I think I think you're thinking of Vorak. Vorak, I, I think that was, he was an ensign Vulcan on Voyager who went through Pond Fog in one episode. But yeah, all of, those, uh, all, all those Vulcan... And Romulan names do sound very similar. There's like Borak, Varak, yes. Spock, Sarek, you know. Yes, uh, Spock does sound similar to that. Yeah, you're right. So he's so this guy is doing everything on his own. He's doing the special effects. Is he doing the green the green screen green room himself as well and all that stuff? Yep, lots of green screen. In fact, that's how he shot me. Was uh, when we were down and he went down to San Diego at the same time I was there during Comic Con. And I was able to bring down green screen and lighting equipment and everything we needed. He brought his his awesome camera, the uh, the Black Magic camera, and we just mm. shot my part right there. Nice. Because, nice. Yeah. And so that worked out really well. So I didn't have to go all the way up to Detroit to be an alien. How do you, how do you like that Black Magic 4K? 
Oh, speaking of which. That's right. Um, well, I'll tell you. From what I've seen, it looks amazing, and we got to use one on the, uh, the on our own zombie movie, which was When the Fever Breaks. Any idea how That's we got right. that? <laughs> no, I don't, actually. We have two now, you know. <laughs> I, we needed you a second two? one throughout filming. We have two now, yeah. The, the second one is on its way. We, we have a couple more days of filming left. But, yeah, we have a, we have a second camera on its way. I, I, hope, you, I hope you like the, uh, the, um, the grain. and I, I love that 4K. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, yeah. it's only the uh, second time I've worked with one, to my knowledge. So, you know, I'm still kind of, like, looking it over and being like, it doesn't look like a camera. Are you sure? It looks like right. something from the 30s. I, I, I know. I, you look at this thing, and it's literally the size of, like, an SLR. And this thing, you know, shoots the Hobbit. And those yeah. things are just, those things are just incredible. So, so you, you know, we didn't, get in, we didn't get too much into this last week, but let's go into the When, when the Fever Breaks. So you play Dean and When the Fever Breaks. Yeah. Please tell us about your character. Well, my character is, I, I feel like he's, he's one of those challenges for an actor in that he's not very extreme. Like, for me, it's easier to portray, portray a character that's, like, you know, crazy or you know, really angry or really stupid or like the wacky neighbor or, you know, a total right. player, you know. But the guy that's more like just the good guy, the guy that you root for, it's tougher because you don't really have a real strong trait to, to really focus on, you know what I mean? You don't have like that crutch or that, that thing to focus your energy on. So Dean is basically his story is he's kind of, you know, like a, a high school quarterback, you know, so, you know, he was athletic, and I guess he kind of grew up or hurt himself and became like a handyman. And so now he's in his late 20s. He's got a girlfriend who, um, played by the lovely Genevieve Gearhart, who has a daughter. Um, and so really, he's become a family man. And he's just, he's a good guy, you know, he's not too angry. He's always kind of the voice of reason. He's the guy that, during a crisis, is trying to calm people down, is trying to gather up the troops and, you know, be like a quarterback. He's trying to say, all right, we got this, we can do this, right. let's all stick together, let's all, you know, work out a plan, you know, but, of course, there are six other personalities. Oh, there, so, so. so you die then. <laughs> Every time a guy can, tries to figure out a plan in a zombie film, you're dead. Every time somebody is the good guy and the hero and you know this guy has a solid plan. I hope that does not happen to your character, man. Well, I'll tell you this much. So I can only, I'll only give you this one spoiler. There are people that die in the movie. <laughs> That's all I'll tell you. And who dies, well, you'll just have to wait and see. Well, you have, you have uh, Chadwick Armstrong in the film and Genevieve Gearhart and, and yourself, mm -hmm. Ryan Husk, and then Dylan Lawrence and Cruz Malga and Sean Paul Piccinino and Violet Smith. Now, Tymaine Clay wrote, the, wrote and directed the, the film with his wife, uh, Lucy Clay. Yeah. How was that working with a wife and husband team on a film? Well, um, Lucy kind of, uh, I, she mostly was just writer-producer. So once we started shooting, she was just kind of doing her own thing. You know, she would pass by and see how everything was doing, you know. Um, so I think she did what sometimes we hope someone will do. Sometimes you have like a producer that hasn't produced before and they just kind of 
are trying to impose their will a little too much or getting in the way or, or something like that. Whereas right. uh, someone like Lucy, she was brilliant enough to write this, you know, great script with Ty Main and then just kind of said, all right, now you guys take care of it. If you need anything, let me know. You know what I mean? So she was, she was awesome. And uh, Ty Main is a great director to work for because he doesn't, you know, pardon the expression, he doesn't bust your balls. You know what I mean? Like, he runs a tight ship where he wants he wants everything to run smoothly and move quickly, but as an actor, he kind of just lets you act, and you know, right. he, he lets you do your thing, and he lets the DP do his thing, and he lets you know the script supervisor do his or her thing, and um, when he needs to be heard, he raises his voice and he's heard, but for the most part. He just seems like more interested in, in the fact that he hired the right people and he lets those right people do their jobs. And when he has a question or a suggestion or something he needs done, he just he just says it. But there's never any feelings hurt. There's never any frustration. You know what I mean? I mean, if you've met Ty Man, you'll know he's a really nice guy. You know? That's awesome. Yeah, he's had a lot of high energy. It's, it's kind of funny. It reminds me of a lot of Quentin Tarantino, whereas. He almost breathes to take a break before he goes into the next subject matter, which is very interesting. I like listening yeah. to people like that. Because it always keeps your brain working. But, you know, yeah. you know when the fever breaks, it, you know, it's a, it's a great cast. I, I've seen a lot of footage so far. If I were to ask you, what, what separates this film from the other zombie films? What's, what's different about this movie than, than any other zombie film? What would you say to me? Okay. Well, that's a good question. Well, I'm in this one. Not I'm kidding, but um, <laughs> Number I would one. say honestly that the uh, I mean the writing clearly sets it apart um, in that it's not I, I would venture to say that it's not a zombie movie in the same way that I don't believe that The Walking Dead is a zombie TV show. When I first started watching The right. uh, Walking Dead again, I started late. I watched it like last year. Um, right. My first thought was, this isn't a show about zombies. This is a show about two things. It's about survival and making hard decisions. You know, and, that, and that's what I think set... Because if it was just a TV show about zombies, how long would it last? We, we've all seen zombies. Right. It would last like five episodes. So uh, when the fever breaks is different in that regard, too, is that it's a show about, about people, or it's a movie about people and relationships and how they react in a time of crisis. And, you know, it's, it's more of a story of, of people and what they're doing within their own home in this circumstance more so than it's about zombies. Now, the zombies are there, and you're going to see some awesome zombies, and you're going to see some guts, and you're going to see everything that you want to see, but that's not what the movie's about. You know, and, that, and that's... Right. And that's really not, we don't want to see that anyway, because the, the fact of the matter is, is that we are people, we're not zombies. So we want, we want to see who we relate to. Would I react like this guy? Or would I react right. like her? Or, oh, they made the wrong decision. I totally would have grabbed the hammer. Or, oh, what is she right. doing walking in there? She needs to get a weapon. You know, that kind of stuff. We can't help but put ourselves in that position. So if we naturally, as humans, put ourselves in the situation that we're watching, then, you know, the least we could do is write something that is going to make those people kind of relatable so that the person can really almost feel like they're there. You know what I mean? Right. 
You know, from from what I saw, what was very interesting about the film, it, it did remind me a little bit of Cabin in the Woods, where it was more about mm. characters and the movement, the storyline, than it was about a prop like a zombie. Yeah, that's and I enjoyed right. that a lot more than like you know, maybe the, like The Walking Dead, where The Walking Dead is about you know eight idiots who can't make a you know can't make a, <laughs> a decision, and before they know it, everybody dies because they're stupid. You know, it's so yeah. annoying. I mean, I you know, if that show was a zombie, I'd shoot it. Uh, but uh, I, I I liked I liked when the fever breaks, and I liked I liked the way the story went, and that was very interesting. Uh, you know, we're running out of time here, but I, I wanted to end mm-hmm. on, on Star Trek, uh, you know, Futures Memorial. Uh, you play uh, Lieutenant Commander Jack Crusher. So can you tell us about okay, that? Great. And by the way, Crusher Crusher is definitely a recycled uh, Star Trek name because we all know we all know Crusher from from uh, Star Trek uh, Next Generation. Aha! Don't tell me you. Well, if, uh-huh. if that's the case, get to know? then yes, you 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 hit on something. Lieutenant Commander Jack Crusher is actually. Wesley Crusher's dad and Beverly Crusher's husband. Get out of here! Yeah, you nailed it. Now, here's here's what's interesting about that um, is this this is actually going to be a series, but first we're just doing the short film, and then we're going to do the series after. And And this series takes place in the new alternate timeline. Now, in this alternate timeline... Wesley Crusher's dad does not die when Wes is like four years old. You know, uh, Wesley Crusher's dad, Jack Crusher, dies on a mission that Captain Picard sent him on, and that's why Captain Picard always feels bad. He always feels bad towards Beverly and Wes because best friend or one of his best friends was was killed, you know, by an order that he gave. Now, in the alternate timeline, that that didn't happen. You know, something else happened. So now we've got Jack Crusher... And he's raising Wesley Crusher. So what you've got is everybody thought Wesley Crusher was cool and that he was really smart, but they also kind of right. thought he was wimpy and dorky. Now, if he had a father figure in his life the whole time who was a lieutenant commander and who was a soldier and who was tough and strong and intelligent, he'd be raising this kid to be the same. So what you've got is a kid that's less wimpy and nerdy, but still a genius. Right. So that's kind of... That's kind of how that dynamic goes, and, and that's what the, the story's about. It's about the Crusher family. That is awesome. <laughs> I know that uh, Wesley Crusher was supposed to be a nemesis, and then was cut out last second because, they, because of continuity issues. And I know yeah, that, that he regretted leaving the show when he did. Um, he, he left the show on, under not-so-fantastic circumstances. He wanted to do something else. But, and then he left with what I believe the Wanderer, right? Uh, and I love yes, that storyline. Yeah. Uh, but, but I really wanted to see. I mean, I really was expecting him to be the next Captain Picard or the next, uh, the next yeah. echelon of, of commanders. I was, I was kind of heartbroken to see his character wither away. Yeah, we thought he was going to be the next generation of officers. But uh, one one little bit of trivia for you too: if, if you remember an episode of Next Generation called Yesterday's Enterprise, there was a, yeah. uh, where Tasha Yar comes back and they all blow up and stuff. Um, yes. There's a female captain named Ka- Captain Garrett, Rachel Garrett. Yes. I really liked her. She was yes. great. Captain Garrett is the is the captain in uh, Star Trek Futures. She is our captain, and we are on the Enterprise C. Get out of here. Yeah, so that's really? not all tied together. Yeah, so we've got we've got a few tie-in characters from you that, know, the, the regular That is one timeline. of the best. 
you know, that's one of the best uh, storyline, regular timeline, uh, when Tasha Yar comes back. You know, what's know. interesting is a lot of people don't understand the politics anymore about Star Trek or the world. Back in the old days, when Star Trek Next Generation came out, Tasha Yar, the, the, at least the actress who played Tasha Yar, she was in Playboy magazine. Actually, she posed for Playboy magazine before she was on the show. Oh, wow. And then when the, Play, you know, when the Playboy magazine came out after season one, they fired her because she was mm-hmm. on the magazine. And they, and they gave her an unceremonial death by killed by a, <laughs> you, know, a you know, by a tar monster, yeah. essentially. Yeah. And, and so that's weird. what I loved. Wasn't it? I mean, this was an essential character. So it was very, very weird. So when Tasha Yar came back as being, you know, the half Romulan, half human, um, and, and yeah. also really favored the Romulan side, that, that was a great, um, I don't know, a fight back for women, I thought. You know, because I did think yeah. that there was a certain bit of an injustice going on there because I loved Next Generation, and there were not a lot of women in the sci-fi world at the time. So totally. to, to get rid of one more sci-fi woman to me was, and she had a great backstory. I don't know if you remember her backstory, but she was part of a prison planet, and she was being searched by uh, by a rape colony, and, and her sister oh, wow. didn't get away. Her sister got caught. Yeah, there's there's a whole backstory going on there. You're bringing out the inner geek in me big time. But yeah, I, I well, love this stuff. So uh, so now before I go, let me like, just send, let me just tell you a couple quick messages I got from my girlfriend while we were talking. First of all, when we were talking about when you were trying to convince me to watch Firefly, she said all, in all capital letters, "Yeah, let's watch it." So you you at least convinced her to watch Firefly. Yes. And uh, and she when was, you mentioned Captain Woods, she said she loves Cabin in the Woods, and then she says. That guy you're talking to is a total Joss Whedon fanboy. Is she right? <laughs> Joss Whedon fanboy? Yeah. Yeah, I am. I'm a total Joss Whedon uh, fanboy. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I've had I've had people come on and not Joss Whedon, and you can't say anything about it. You you have to go with what people feel like. But you know, my thing is is I my my writing has a lot of women characters. I write a lot about women, and one of the reasons why is. I grew up with the Count of Monte Cristo and Wuthering Heights and, and all of these things. And you always expect a man to prevail, to win, to get the riches and get back to get the woman, to get her impregnated. She's gonna, he's going to live. She's going to die. The, women, the men always survive. So when you read Clan of the Cave Bear, which is one of the books that inspired me the most as a writer, as an author, I write novels. Uh, she, what she did was it was a Cro-Magnon time. She was pregnant. She's not allowed to carry a weapon. She's, mar- she's married to the king of, of Java men. She picks up a weapon to protect her, her pregnant self against a bear. She protects herself. They kick her out of the clan. She has to go hide underneath a tree and give birth to a child. They say, if you give birth to your child and you survive, you can come back. So she goes underneath yeah. the tree. She gives birth to the child. She comes back as queen of the Java men. That, to me, is an excellent story, and that's why I loved Voyager. Because you had a woman captain, and then you had a woman admiral. And I just, I just adore those storylines. So when you look at Joss Whedon, J.J. Abrams, and people like this, they really do. And when you look at James Gunn, who just did uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, even though he did get flack for that film, they make excellent like female characters. Mm-hmm. Battlestar Galactica does, makes excellent, strong female characters, too. And you know who I think is a really good female oh, character yeah. right now? Um, it's Cersei Lannister in Game of Thrones. She's, she's got to be my favorite oh. female Because even when she, uh, She's fantastic. Even if she doesn't have one line in a scene, if she's just sitting in a room with a bunch of guys talking about cutting people's heads off, 
it still feels like she's the one in control. Like all she does is she like lifts an eyebrow and kind of looks across the room, and it still feels like she's pulling the strings even when she's not saying anything, you know? Right. It goes back to one of my, one of my favorite sayings, which is behind every powerful man is a woman who thinks he's an idiot. I, I, I love that so much. Because the, the old women in the old days were called whisperers. They used to whisper in the king's ear, and they go, I have a great idea. You know, she had a great yeah, idea. Yeah. That's right. Thank goodness I'm not a powerful man. Otherwise, I'd be an idiot. <laughs> well, well, tell me, Ryan, I'm so happy to have you on today, and, and thank you for bringing out my inner geekdom. I, I really appreciate that. We want to reach you. All the fans are clamoring about you. How can we get in touch with you? How can we find more about you? Well, uh, you can just search my name, Ryan T. Husk. You can do it on Google or on IMDb or on Facebook or on MySpace. No, not really MySpace. But, uh, or Twitter. You, know, you just search my name and you can find me and you can connect with me there. There's not going to be like 100 Ryan T. Husk. No. There's just one Ryan T. There might, I, think, okay. I think when I Googled my name like 10 years ago when I was a musician, there was a Ryan Husk who was in like minor league baseball. And I was like, who is this jerk with my name? But that's why if you that just bastard. have the initial, yeah, if you just have the T, the middle initial T in there, then I'm the only one, Ryan T. Husk. It's easy. Or okay. you can just Google the incredible Husk. That's me too. Okay. And you said you're producing? Yeah, I'm also producing a lot of things, too. So if you have something that you need, uh, somebody out there has a project that they need help producing or if they just want a little bit of uh, friendly advice on how to do uh, producing or production things or, you know, whatever, I'm available to, to work on things. I'm available to talk about things or help out or make connections for people if, they're, if they need good crew people, if they need good actors that can connect them easily. That's awesome. Well, we're looking forward to all your projects. I mean, you're, you're, you're living the dream as, as far as we're concerned. And uh, we're, we're looking forward to especially uh, Memorial. I, I'm really looking forward to this because I wanted to see this feature take off. How far along on projects are you? Uh, that one is probably the least far along right now. That, that one is still in development. So that's, that one's going to be a good few months before we shoot the short and then a few months after that before we do the, the series. So that one is definitely um, in, the, in the most beginning stages of, of anything, I'd say. We're not in pre-production yet. Well, we look forward to seeing you in all your projects, and hopefully I'll see you when the fever breaks on the red carpet when it comes out very, very soon. Ryan T. Husk, thank you very much for joining us on this great Sunday. Have yourself a great weekend. Hey, thanks very much, Steve. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks, sir. Bye-bye. All right, boys, we got the Ryan T. Husk there. That was a fantastic interview. He brought the inner geek in, in all of us, I believe. Uh, if you're a Battlestar Galactica fan, I think you're going crazy. If you're, a, if you're a Firefly fan, I think you're going nuts as well because you want him to go watch it. Uh, please, Ryan, go watch it and let us know. The next guest we're going to have on is, is David Haverty. We're going to take a small little, little uh, break. Uh, I hope you like reggae. I love reggae.
Well, I believe I found a couple people who did not like <laughs> reggae. I, I just talked to a couple people who, who definitely hate reggae. So, But I don't. I love it. Let's welcome the fantastic, the always incredible, David Habit. Hello. Hector, how are you doing? Good. How are you? We get very good. We got a rocking show. We have a big we have a big group listening to our show right now. Thank you everybody for listening in today. David Haverty, I've been wanting to have you on for a very long time. Ever since I saw that you had a werewolf musical going on. I I, I wanted to know everything about that. It, it's very difficult to see original things these days. It's very difficult to see things that come straight out of people's minds and then go straight to uh maybe the playhouse. Can you can you tell us about how your career began? Uh, How did began, it began well, well, for me, it started off when I was 10 years old. <laughs> uh, looked for stuff to do and uh, got into musicals. My mom, I, was, I, I failed at baseball. I, I couldn't run around the, uh, you know, the bags without looking like, a, like I was dancing, so I got made fun of. I'm like, okay, this isn't for me. I don't know what I want to do. My mom put me in some theater. After that, I fell in love with theater after that and acting, and someone said, hey, you're good at this. I was like, wow, somebody's not making fun of me for trying to do something. I think I'm going to keep trying to see if I can do more of this. Uh, then ended up going to high school, majoring in musical theater at a, at a magnet program in Florida. And uh, then from there, went on to theater projects, working with, you know, legends, Anne Reinking, Gwen Bird, and Ben Vereen. And uh, then went to college in New York, went to Marymount, Manhattan. And uh, did that for four years, lived in New York, did uh, what I could there for musicals and culture and try to tap in what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And, and then, you know, the city is a, a rough city to live in. So I thought I'd try to make a, a step out in L.A. I visited out here for one week. I was having a coronavirus pool. I was like, whoa, this is where I'm moving. Literally two months later, maybe a month later, I moved out of New York, went back to Florida, got stuck there for two years, did some dinner theater, did about you know four or five musicals, and then I moved my butt out here. I've been out here for eight years now. And, uh, yeah, well, so I just connected into the, the theater world out here. Well, you, you're... you're, you're... Your IMDb, you know, as we were looking for it earlier, because it was kind of difficult to find for a couple of seconds there. But, it, yeah. I mean, it's, inc- it's incredible when I talk to people and you look at all the different related fields that you're, in, you're into, in the producing, directing, right. cinematography, camera and electrical department, editing. Now, I, I always see that in people who've done summer stock or have done plays or musicals. Do you find yeah. that that is, is part or part of the acting scheme that – if you do have that background, you will be able to do a lot of jobs opposed to just going straight to film? Uh, well, I think when you do theater, I think in smaller areas, I guess mainly, mainly when you're in education, you're not just out there learning how to act and be in front of the camera and do your one craft. You are put into a lot of different classes. You're put into stagecraft. You're put into uh, stage makeup. Because when you go backstage in a theater, you have to put on your makeup every single night by yourself because we don't have a bunch of makeup artists putting the makeup on for us. So we have to learn how to do it. And sometimes you start to learn techniques and crafts yourself. So uh, through that, I think I've gathered a, a pretty good knowledge of makeup. And then just the love for light, because you're in the theater and you constantly have these lights going on and off every single scene. They're very active in the production. You have to you know when they're happening. And if that light doesn't go off at a particular time, it ruins the moment. And I think from that and from theater where you have to, you're, you're creating your own edits when you're on stage. You don't have anybody controlling the comedic timing if you flood the line or, or whatever. So you get to know, I think that's where I found my, my rhythm as an editor. 
how to edit yourself and maintain beats and rhythms. And you know when something's not moving fast or something's not funny, and you adjust. Now, if that's something I think most actors get from theater, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I think some people just have to want to do all those different aspects of the production and entertainment. And and I and I love all aspects of right. entertainment. You know, so obviously you can tell from my IMDb where you can actually see what gets credited, what doesn't get credited. You know, is also all around like grip, electric. So I do lighting as well on my own productions. Yeah. Right. I, I would think that in, in an actor's point of view or a director's point of view, the nightmare of being part of a product would be uh, acting singing, blocking, directing, writing, mm-hmm. working with people. I would say that that would probably be... The, I mean, we've all... I mean, a lot of actors and writers have, have done plays in college years and what have you, but doing this like The, were, the Werewolves of Hollywood Boulevard, that, that mm-hmm. seems extremely difficult. Uh, did you have that mindset going into it, or did you just kind of go, I'm, I'm just going to throw this out of the park? Well, what's, what's great is in the last three years, I connected with an artist, uh, composer, writer, uh, singer, actor himself, Michael Shaw Fisher. Uh, Michael Shaw Fisher pulled me into a musical three years ago called Doomsday Cabaret because his orca, he, he had a person who was doing his music direction, uh, Michael Tioli. I'd worked with Michael Tioli a year before that doing a musical of his called Carnival, which is actually very H.P. Lovecraft, about a shotgun kind of thing that visits a carnival and I was the hair covered, and he gave me some a lot of rock, high pitched solos and a lot of uh, uh, really really rock kind of sounds. So when Doomsday came up, they lost an actor, literally a day before their first rehearsal. She always told Michael Shaw Fisher, wow. "Hey, I got this guy. He can do some rock stuff. Let's put him in." And after Michael Shaw Fisher and I worked together on Doomsday, we've been inseparable for three years. And literally during Doomsday Cabaret, he's like, "David." I'm going to write a musical for you. I was like, okay, thanks, dude. I really appreciate that. That's really nice of you. You know, I, I, you know, I, 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 I like my voice too, but somebody that's going to write a musical, I can't even write a play or write a book myself or I write three poems and I'm done. I'm like, oh, but this guy can sit down in a room and writes a play. He, he wrote Tuesday Cabaret in five days. And that musical ended up going on really? to get an ovation nomination for Best Music and Lyrics, and it was his first musical he ever wrote. So this guy's talented. That's all I can tell you. So when he tells me, That's hey, David, you play, for you. You, you, you know. play Kurt. Mm-hmm. You play, well, you play Kurt the lead in this, right? Yeah, Kurt, yeah. That was one of the leads. The beautiful okay. thing about Doomsday was that it was all it was an ensemble, truly an ensemble. And uh, everyone stays on stage the whole time. It's like people are doing this... Uh, seminar about the end of the world, except it's supposedly on the last night of the world during, I think it was December 21st, 2012 was when that whole end of the world thing was happening in 2012, right? So he wrote a musical based on the last day of the world that we all were here trying to prove who was going to be right. Really, in the end, it doesn't matter if it did it. We all were just trying to be right. My character didn't care. He just was a guy who liked to burn things on fire. He was the the arsonist from the Noho Arsonist character that's who you based it off of. Mm. So Michael then that's all. finally came up with the werewolf oh, musical like uh, two years later. What's that? Really? So you, so you came yeah. up with that musical two years later. Now, now, there aren't a lot of musicals that are like that. I mean, there are your, your kitschy you know, plays out there or musicals right. out there like you know, Spider-Man, things like that. You know, right. what, what did you do differently to not make it like 
you know, I don't know, genesequa, you know, kitschy. I, I don't know what other word to use except for just uh, easy. What did you do different? Well, I, I really helped Michael as much as I could. I, I wasn't even considered a producer. I tend to put my hands in a lot of things that I'm involved with to where I act as a producer because I just want to make sure we're creating the best product if we're putting our time into it. And I try not to step on toes. Sometimes I do. Some people appreciate it. Most people don't. But with Michael, he understands yeah. my intention. So what Michael wanted to do with this show is he didn't want to do, you know, a Twilight werewolf musical, you know, just glorifying, hey, we're, you know, this love triangle between these mythological creatures. He actually based these off of historical people in the past that have been tried, convicted, and executed for claiming to be werewolves and have actually had serial killings or murders that they were accused of. Right. Does that make sense? No, that totally makes sense. <laughs> it's bothering my mind. You know, it's, it's very interesting. I, I saw Phantom of the Opera when I was 15 years old, and it was the first time mm-hmm. I ever felt like I could be a writer. Uh, not mm-hmm. not the musical part, but the, but the play part. So I, I'm, I've always been very interested in people mm-hmm. who take this uh, perspective on life. Because it's, it's incredibly difficult and also not greatly appreciated a lot of times by people of today. Because they don't understand. They don't understand how, how it all began with, you know, uh, Mozart, Beethoven, and you go into the plays of, 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 of and, and the operas of, of today that we all love. People love mm-hmm. things like Moulin Rouge and what have you, but musicals and what have you, it's kind of t- it's a tough play today. How do you find that the audience is receiving your work these days, especially with rock, um, rock musicals, rock opera? Right. Um, today, with musicals, I don't want to... Uh, Insult the current audience. Uh, audiences are different everywhere you go. New York audiences are different. They're a lot harder on you than if you were in the middle, you know, Mideast or if you're doing summer stock or if you're in L.A. Um, L.A. audiences, I think, are more open to the off-the-wall kind of absurd approach to musicals. And once you get to New York, you've got a lot of Disney. You've got things that either have already been a movie before or based on a book. They, they don't want to open up their mind to listen too hard, <laughs> to follow a story they've never heard. Right. Now, I don't think that's the audience's fault. I think that they've been uh, somewhat uh, fed easier concepts and go and listen to a fun musical and see singing and dancing and things like that. Uh, when you see shows that have never been produced before, they're, they're critical in the sense that, oh, it's the story, oh, it's because the music was too loud. And, it, and it's because it, it's just kind of like with, the, with new media. We're now used to short right. bursts of information, and our attention spans are slower or faster. They want to go to the next thing as soon as possible. So right. when we did this musical, we're doing it in the fringe, which, was not a, which means it's a collection of, of work during a two- to three-week period called the Hollywood Fringe Festival. And there's Edinburgh, there's New York Fringe Festival, there's fringe festivals all over the place now. And... What happens is there's, there's six shows within one theater space every day, so you want to get the production moving and out so the next show can come in, and you don't want a whole audience there for two and a half hours because they'll look at your show and go, well, i got two other shows I could see within that time frame, so let's go see the short show that's only 90 minutes or the hour show. And with that concept, Michael Shaw Fisher knew that, okay, we, when he produces and writes shows, he writes them in the shorter format, and then if it does get picked up, and if somebody does want to further the longer production to a larger venue, a longer run, maybe try to go do an off-off-Broadway New York run, 
then he would extend the, the piece to be a longer format because audiences uh, region want to get in and get out. And right. so with, with the feedback we got on this musical, we actually got feedback that we rushed it too quickly because this is a jam-packed full of information and it isn't just a, a love story where a guy sees a girl in a crowded room and they fall in love and there's conflict to get each other to love each other, kind of like West Side Story, which you know is a great musical, don't get me wrong. But that formula has been used so often that that's what people are expecting. So when you just get a guy that's coming in and has a conflict uh, and he's visited by these werewolves through premonitions and visions and trying to find out the point as to why, He's being visited by these people. It, it causes people to to get frustrated because they want more information, but then they don't. It's kind of a, it's a catch twenty two. You want them in the seats, but then once they're there, they want more. But they are not going to get in the seats if they see it's a two and a half two and a half hour show or two hour show. Does that make sense? No, that totally makes sense. So that's so, that's, that's where you're going. Yeah. Like, go ahead. Yeah. So to okay. get people to really absorb the, the, the storylines and so forth like that, we, we want them to do research afterwards and maybe we'll, we'll get a longer run in the future. But yeah, right now they're not, they're not too receptive on original work as much as we'd like them to, unless it's completely uh, sugar-coated and not too deep of concepts, um, mm. like just the discrimination or bullying and, and then you get over the bully. That's really as far as I think the audiences right now want to go. Any deeper than that, they right. start to question the writer instead of questioning their own abilities to retain and absorb the content. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much right. <laughs> so, so you're finding that audiences nowadays, uh, at, at the very least, want shorter pro- projects than longer projects. Right. And that's the way you keep exactly. it. And exactly. do, you, do you find the subject matter itself is changing as well, whereas if we look at maybe the Victorian days, Maybe love and the absence of love would be their uh, main attractor. What would be the main attractor of musicals and plays today that you see a lot of? It, it, it's kind of like I think the Harry, Harry Potter formula where you have an underdog or like Belle from Beauty and the Beast or, or you have um, somebody who's uh, like Shrek, all these different Disney storylines. Disney is a very, you know, they, they stick by a formula where it's the outcast supposed to be a princess and isn't recognized for their beauty and then they overcome everybody's opinions of them and then they, they get what they want and then we get to see them glory in their glory because the audience right. and people in general are downtrodden. That's why they go to the theater. That's why we have entertainment. That's why we are entertainers is to help people get distracted from bringing them down and the things of the regular daily life that they have to go through. And, right. and so when shows remind them of their own plight it causes discourse with their, their, their feelings about the show, whether or not it was a good show. So, for instance, I just watched, uh, I just, you know, last two nights went to go see Streetcar Named Desire last night, and I saw The Cherry Orchard uh, the night before that. And these two plays were written back, you know, 50 years ago, 30 years ago. Yes. And, and what's happening, oh, we're checking, you know, check, that, that was, you know, what, 75 years ago. And at that time, people were interested in the way that people spoke to each other and, and the necessity for relationships and the desire that what they can get is through another person's acceptance of them despite their, their flaws. And that was, that was enough for audiences. And just to see this interaction, it was like they're soap operas. But now, through these shows, they have to be classics to get 
to get an audience to sit down and then absorb a new show. People, uh, like for a streetcar, most of these people have already seen the movie. So it's almost like they've already got right. footnotes on what's going on and what to expect, and then they're comparing them to Marlon Brando's performance or, or, or whatever. And it's not they're, not, they're not sitting to see two people wallowing in a, in a, in a, in a sweaty New Orleans you know, neighborhood just over their sister visiting that has mental problems and how they're passionately right. in love with each other. That's it. That's the only concept in that show. But it's beautiful to see the interaction and the way that they, they, they get through and, and, and also a lot of their, um, their, their, addiction, their, addiction, their addictions to each other's attention and love. And, and that was enough. Nowadays, I, I, I don't think if it's a new work, you'll be able to get that kind of audience to sit through a two-and-a-half-hour show without going, oh, that was just drawn out, and I've never heard this, you know, this wording. Of course, not everybody's Tennessee Williams to uh, be able to have a wordsmith to be able to use that great dialogue. But we hope that we will find a new one. We hope that a playwright out there will amaze us and not have to go to some sugar-coated storyline. Well, it's interesting. That, you know, Samuel Clemens said that a, a classic is a book that everybody everybody knows but nobody reads. And right. when, when I look at plays and musicals and what have you, it, it feels the same way to me. Because, you know, mm-hmm. some people have never seen A Streetcar Named Desire, and Vivian right. Lee is one of my favorite actresses of all time. And if, if you've never seen A Streetcar Named Desire, shame on you. Shame on right. you. These, these are some of the greatest performances right. some of the greatest actors of all time. You know, I right. remember when somebody said they, they've never seen The Godfather. I, I felt right. like somebody called my father a bad name. I looked at him like, are, are you out of your mind? <laughs> you know, there are things that are good out there that you should probably contribute to and watch and, and, and right. see. Well, I don't feel compelled. You feel compelled to watch a crappy show like General Hospital? Like one episode right. of like this crappy little – but you, you don't want to watch like six uh, – uh, you know, six great hours of a great movie. It's, it's incredible to me. <laughs> but that's, you know, like, I wanted to share that. TV has become like music. It's in a background to people's lives. And they're like, they're like reality television. They, they just want to see a quick thing. Oh, this drama, but true, slow, you know, I'm, I'm su- I'm su- intensity, you know. I'm, I'm, su- I'm surprised they haven't come up with a show of like make a play on the day and let's make, let's see it happen like on Broadway. I, I've been very right. surprised. You know, you see Project Runway, you see America's Not the Next Top Model, you see Master mm-hmm. Chef. I want to see a master playwriter or a master creator, where you see well, like the Webers of the world. Right. Come on. Good. Well, what's great is they reintrodu- They've been reintroduced. Obviously, in the last three or four years, um, they've been reintroducing musicals to major blockbuster movies. Uh, well, with Chicago right. was like what ten years ago, I think. I don't even know how long ago that yeah. was, but that was yeah. for me. As a musical, with the musicals in my background and my intention to be in LA to do film and television, and now becoming a producer and shooting my own work and all that kind of stuff, that to see musicals coming back into the the streamline of film and major motion pictures was amazing, and to know you know how those sort of things are happening. So when they brought the most recent uh, television show in Glee, Glee also has really helped, uh, even though. They got into a lot of deep issues and deep-rooted issues, unlike Fame, which it was back in 1970, which was a little bit more raw. Glee has gone a little bit more right. sugar-coated. Meet the, you know, Vampire Diaries kind of feel and all these very teenage uh, range uh, uh, age ranges. Uh, but I do believe that that's reintroducing kids that age about musicals 
And in a way, right. I think I wouldn't be surprised all these Broadway you know producers like, hey, let's go produce this musical on television so people will want to come see musicals again and not have to just see a Disney movie on stage. And hopefully there might be an intention right. like that, but that's just me hoping. I don't know if that's actually true yeah. at all. That's just my hope. Yeah, that I, 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 I there is some intention. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. I, I, I shut you off. Go ahead. Continue. No, no, no I just... Uh, can't tell if there's a breakup with my, my uh, cell phone. Uh, but then there's that TV show, Smash, that just came on. And it just recently was um, canceled. But that's, that's all about the Broadway musical process and add a little bit of drama. So I think the next step would be, let's see the reality of actually making that happen. And that would be amazing. I'd love to see right. that. There's a lot, would... <laughs> a lot of drama. <laughs> well, you know, I was, you know, it was funny. I, you know, I'm out, I'm out in Colorado now for a little, for a little while. Oh yeah, it, it was very interesting. Yeah, I was, I was going to put on some plays uh, based on Quentin Tarantino's stories, and I was going to put a, mm-hmm. a four part play series together that it, it, it amalgamated all the series together, and mm-hmm. they did that in Hollywood just recently, like three months ago. And it was very interesting yeah, about, you know, it's what Spielberg says with the creative minds when you, uh, when you think of a project. If you don't do it, somebody else will. I just heard that yesterday. Um, e. e. Emerson uh, made a quote about if you don't, you know, follow the beam of light that flashes across your consciousness, you'll. If you don't do it, then soon you'll be applauding somebody else doing it. <laughs> there you go. That's exactly. <laughs> thing. Yeah. If you feel that, that light crossing you, that means it's somewhere else. And if you don't do it now, you'll be applauding somebody else for following the light that you didn't. So that's pretty much what exactly that's happened. That. But. With the Tarantino show, that's, a, that's called For the Record, uh, uh, the Quentin Tarantino piece. A, a few of my friends have been through that, that, that show. I think it just recently closed. That we call uh, a jukebox musical, um, where, really? again, you're walking into the room with music you recognize, and right. there's nothing you need to be open to follow. just kind of you know, runs through it. And that's a, that's a musical. It's a play. I think it would be completely different, and also in a different region. So I, I still, I still say go for it. Nice. Yeah. Now I want to go back. You know, something that just I can't let go. Of. I'm looking back at your childhood, and I'm thinking, yeah. Did you did you like plays and musicals when you were a child? And if you did, did you ever get flack for it? Because I certainly uh, did yeah. get flack for it. Con- continuously, yes. Uh, Really? First, the first musical, uh, I, which, which made me fall in love with musicals, was sitting down and watching musicals with my mother. Uh, I used to watch figure skating, ballroom dancing, and nice. that I enjoyed. I didn't like to sit down and watch baseball. I like, I don't get it. What's going on? This guy sits okay, then they run. That's really that's really hard to do that and catching that. That's that's hard. But when the music is introduced with story, I was already enveloped. And this was before I even thought of stepping onto the stage. I never even thought I'm going to be an actor. I just was more drawn to that that form of entertainment as a child. And when I was eight or nine, my mother put me into the Florida Boy Choir, and just because I, she heard me singing really, really loud in, in church choir with my, my with uh, you know with my parents when we were in church, and uh, like you, you can sing really loud, David. You can sing. You're actually on key. I was like, great. And again, I have no after school activities I enjoy. He puts me into the Florida Boy Choir. And that was the first step on stage as a singer or performer. And then the next step was theater. And, and people around me, I think, had, had, 
had respect for me in, the, in silence because once they all grew up and once they all became adults and teenagers, their respect for me changed. Right. But as a child, oh, yeah, I had to avoid them and got picked on a lot. <sighs> Again, but when, once I stepped into the theater, that that was my group of people. That was my support group. That was my gang. That's, I would, you know, go through the day of getting crap from people and right. then would go home and be, like, exactly where I wanted to be. But then gradually through middle school, it turned around. People were asking me where I was going for theater, and teachers were giving me assignments, and then talent shows, and then solos, and then circles of friends all just came from that that energy of putting myself out there and embarrassing myself and enjoying it. Because at, point, at one point, I, in, the, in the school choir, I played Elvis that popped out of a snowman and sang Blue Christmas. And I remember the kids laughing their butts off, and I smiled right back at them like, you wouldn't do this. I've got more guts than you do. And they, and, and slightly, no matter how much ridicule I felt at that moment, I knew that they knew that. Does that make sense? Right. And, no. and that just it fueled me. It fueled me. It fueled me. So, 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 you know, they're, they're calling you names. They're, they're saying things behind your back. You're, right. you're doing these things. What, what pushes you along? And, what, and this is what I really want to know. What keeps you from going down that depressive or negative route that, that a lot of people have a tendency to do, whereas they do listen to the people, whereas those people, they, you know, when you were to talk, if you were to talk to those people that you went to, child, to grade school with, they wouldn't even recognize they did anything wrong. Uh, if they did, they'd apologize. Right. They'd say, I didn't even of know course, what I was yeah. doing. Right? You know what I mean? I mean, it's just the human condition to be cruel sometimes. But mm-hmm. if I were a young kid right now and I'm listening to you and I'm going, listen, I want to be like this guy. I want to do something creative. I want to make musicals that are different, mm-hmm. that are that have cer- a certain genus of quad. You can't put your finger on it. What positivity mm-hmm. can you tell those kids who are being knocked down by other kids to keep on going forward? Well, I think if it remains as words, uh, words will always be thrown at you as a child. Uh, but if it gets physical, never, ever stand for that and walk away and even run away. Go to go get homeschooled, get out of that world, and keep going to the groups of places that you can go. You can find theater groups and uh, places where children can perform or as, as, as uh, teenagers, as classes everywhere you can find your, your group of people. And when you leave school, you go hang out with them and you become friends with them and you create your circle that's instead of a bunch of people circling around you and picking on you, you create that circle around you of other people that want to do exactly what you're doing. And those voices become louder than the people that want to knock you down because they think you're different because you have a stronger right. voice. Even, and then what's great is when you have that strong voice uh, in a majority of your week or wherever you're going or you, or you hear that applause in the back of your head when somebody's telling you that you're, you're stupid or you're different or you're, you're, you know, you're, not, you're not normal, think of the back of your head, you're not in the room. And, and you're, and you're going to stay exactly where you are right here, and I'm going somewhere else. I'm moving somewhere else. I've got bigger things in my life. Right. And even as a child, I felt that. Even as a child, I was like dreaming of New York, not, not thinking of – I actually thought of New York as a fairy tale that I actually may never actually see in my life because I was unable to fathom that as a child. Like, I'm, I'm going to go to see this place. I don't even know if it exists. I've only seen it in photos. But there was this thought in my mind, I'm going to go do that. Right. Some, sometime right. these people are going to stay here in this town and go work at the gas station. And, and I would tell them down in my head. Whether or not they became the owner of the gas station, I have millions of dollars now and have five children and a beautiful wife, right. that's not the point. 
at the point at that moment, <laughs> that's what I told myself in the back of my head. You're not going right. anywhere else, but you're going to live here in your mom's house until you're you know 30, and I'm going to go struggle somewhere else and maybe hit it big and have a whole new group of friends that are going to accept me, which I did find. Didn't hit it big, but I found a group of people in a circle of friends that have been my support group ever since. Nice. You know, so you, so what you did was you, yeah. you, you surrounded yourself around people who were like you to, mm-hmm. aff- to affirm that you're doing the right thing, right? Right. The thing was, so that, 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 that existed until I stepped into the theater. With right. film and television, you go into a room of auditions and you have a bunch of people in that room that feel like your competition. And, right. and I think theater is a great place to start before you go into the quote-unquote business of acting because you recognize those other people as castmates or people that you're going up for a role and you're going to get a role maybe one, da- one day down the road. But when you come back into a theater production, you're all on the same team and you're, and you're doing different things or working on a scene or you're just, you're just doing your craft and you're with friends and it's not a competition in class. That's, the, I think, the major benefit of class. I'm, I'm not an advocate of a long-running just become a student and don't do anything else but go to class. I, I, I'm very much about doing and creating. That's why when people say, oh, you, you dream big, I'm like, no, I'm a, I'm a doer. I'm not a dreamer, right. and I'm a creator. So right. I feel that class in the long run, once you get out of college and after you've been in L.A. for 10 years, I think you should be doing more than you're studying. That's just my personal opinion, both as a teenager or a young adult that is where you create your long life friends. My, I have a friend right now. Her name is Jessica Howell. She just went to cons and uh, uh, you know pushed two feature films and has a web series she's producing. I, I met her when I was ten years old in that same children's theater in Florida. She went to New York yeah. and now she's out here. And we hang out every single weekend almost out here in L.A. And it, it's these lifelong friends you create as children that can can you know follow you for the rest of your life. And these are these are friends that I've had beyond high school friends that I made. These are people that I met when I was 10. And my friend Lee Markham, currently down in Anaheim, again, I met him when I was 10 years old in that children's theater, and I'm currently editing his demo reel. But we're just still friends ever since. So I really am an advocate of children's theater for young adults who are looking to you know, find out where they belong, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, that, that, that's the part where I get uh, sad for people is when they don't see the connections between each other. When they don't see mm-hmm. that we're all connected, we're all kind of doing mm-hmm. the same thing, and, and you can say anything you want, but you're going to watch my product. We're all right. we're all going to do these things, and we're all acceptable. It, it, it's it's a very weird world sometimes because when I was a kid, the musical world and the play world was way different than it is right now, and now it is way more acceptable. I mean, I don't know if you remember as a child, if people went to movies to TV, it was a graveyard. I mean, your career right. is over. But nowadays. Right. If you do a play right after a movie, I mean, you just took a break. I mean, just like, uh, you know, uh, um, God, I can't even think of his name right now, House of Cards. Uh, he went off and did uh, what, oh, Henry VIII, and he keeps on doing... Oh, Kevin Spacey? Uh, Kevin Spacey. Yeah, Kevin yeah, Spacey. Yeah. You know, he just keeps on doing plays, and he goes back to his mo- movies. He does his, he does his TV show, which is basically, you know, 12 movies. Right. And he goes back and does his plays again. That's amazing to me. And that shows well, real art. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, because also, I, I mean, have you have you been on stage and done a play as an actor? I have. Yeah. yeah. So you you know the process, and and the once you go on stage, it's in your hands. It's all up to you to tell the story. Yes. It's up to you to be in the in the space, and and to be in, a, in in the shoes of Kevin Spacey, who's probably majority in front of a camera. That's 
that's stop and go. That's three pages in 12 hours that you're working on that one moment. And you don't get to really feel the journey and feel like you're telling the story and to, to know the arc of the character and to get into a play once in a while is a way to get that back into your bones of the, of the journey of, a, of an act of the character and you move from one place to the next. And in one hour, two hours, you move through all these places. So if you can do that in two hours and move through an entire 150, 200-page story, three pages and 12 will be sim- simple because you've already done that in, in, in two, three minutes on stage. You know? <laughs> so I think stage you know, they, is really it, important. You know, I I completely agree, and that's one of the reasons why I love talking to people who are in the movie industry as well as as in the other fields of media. And movies are not the only darn thing in the world. And there's so many different right. fields of expression and art, and you need we need to be a part of it as a group. That's what that's what I love about San Francisco. You walk into San Francisco, mm-hmm. you'll see the the streets littered with papers of plays that are in people's houses. And in, in and also in art houses as well because they're just constantly doing work, constantly uh, crafting their craft. I really really enjoy that. Tell, you know we're running out of time and I just love mm-hmm. talking to you. I can talk to you forever. Uh, tell tell me what is your next project? What are you working on next? Where can we find you? Next? Um, about to direct a regional commercial uh, for a product that a uh, really weird story connected to the producer because I edited his demo reel two years ago. And he's an actor, but now he's a marketing director. So he hired me as a director for this product that he's now marketing. Um, and working on small promos for a fitness trainer that, you know, he needs a, a video for his uh, website. So I'm going to help push his video like uh, Under Armour, give it kind of high-paced things. So I'm going to shoot him, direct it, and edit it. Uh, but as an actor, currently I'm, I'm actually avoiding a lot of theater right now because <laughs> I, I really have not been able to uh, get my stuff together. And I got to look for the paying gigs, yeah. and I picked up editing because I wanted to edit my own demo reel as an actor, and then started editing, and have got clients now to take care of. Uh, but I do have uh, aspirations to be heading to New York for an audition in a few months for uh, a musical that I, I know a producer that's uh, going to hopefully call me out there for a show. I'll, oh, I, I would. Well, I've been following your career for a while now. You're you're a great personality. You're very affable. You you definitely have the presence of somebody we need out there in in the acting sphere. And I really really enjoyed what I've watched from what you've done. How can we find you? How how can we find the great David Haberty? (laughs) Well, of course, like most actors should do, davidhaberty.com. Uh, that's uh, spelled you know, on the title of this link, so you can copy and paste it pretty easily. Uh, I have a link yeah. to a lot of my work there, um, but as a creator, I've created a Launchpad website for everything I do called Odd Dog Pictures. Uh, I, I think of myself as, like again, like being an outcast, but I'm a, a master of many aspects and odd jobs, and Odd Dog kind of just came into its own existence that way. So Odd Dog Production, Odd, yeah, Odd Dog Pictures, uh, com, and that launches you to my editing, to I produce demo reels for actors, to my performance as an as an actor, and my editing. Because um, a music video that I edited and shot for an artist called Kovas, that's K is in, you know, uh, Kim, K-O-V-A-S. Yes. If you go to iamkovas.com, a music video that I produced, shot, and edited will be coming out on the 9th called Hollywood. Nice. It's actually a short film. Uh, he's going back to the old hip-hop ages where you'd have a little short film before the for the actual music video. Yeah. So the whole thing is about yeah. 11 to 12 minutes. starts with a six-minute short film. 
we go into the musical, we stop it, we start it, we stop it. It's, it's pretty funny. We got some people from UCB that are involved. Uh, and then I shot another musical video of his that's going to be hopefully closely following, but he's very smart in the way that he, he does his marketing, so things will drop uh, a little bit here. You know, lots, drops little crumbs for his, you know, his fans so they can see them. But the next two music videos that he's dropping, I shot and edited for him. And uh, um, the, music, uh, the uh, web series, Slightly Dramatic, is still available online if you ever want to go look that up. It's, everything's on the Odd Dog Pictures uh, main page. You can look at the news that I post uh, as to what I'm doing as a producer and editor. And then if you want to see me as an actor, I'll be posting on my, my website or on Facebook. Add me. I, I love also, it. And also, if, you, also yeah. if you go to David Haverty on Facebook, if you go to the About you can find all the links to his official website, Demo Reel, Real Editing Company, Twitter, Hollywood yeah. Blog, IMDb. You can find everything on his Facebook as well. Haverty, H-A-V-E-R-T-Y. I'm sorry, continue? Yeah. Yeah, H-A-V is in Victor, yep. Oh, and also yes. if you're an actor and you're in anywhere in the country, I, I've been running this Facebook group for the last three years, and a lot of, I, I've shot a 48-hour film festival out of these group of actors. We've started a group called Action Group where we actually shoot films once a month with these actors that just come up with their own scripts, their own storylines, everything everybody's written for and we produce a short. Uh, sometimes it gets edited. Sometimes we just give the footage to the actor to use for whatever they want. Um, but it all started from this group called Actors Supporting Actors. So if you want to go check that out on Facebook, as long as you know somebody that's in the group or you post that you're an actor or your, your, your profile photo, I make, I, I make sure that everyone is somewhat related to somebody in the group, and we have almost 3,000 members in that group right now. Uh, so hopefully, uh, if you need a little support group, ask questions about agents, go in there. If you need to look for an apartment in L.A. and you want to meet people, go have a drink. David Averty, yeah. you're awesome. I love having you as a guest. You, <laughs> you're, exactly, you're exactly the way I thought you would be, which is hilarious to me. It, that that really I've never actually really way. talked before this. I'm like, okay, David, slow down. I'm usually a fast talker, and I'm, I've obviously probably went a mile a minute. Hopefully everyone could follow me. Uh, yeah, but to actually talk about yourself when you're actually told to talk about yourself is nerve-wracking. Right. But, you know, in L.A., you're yeah, it, trying to talk and sell yourself, and I'm like, well, right. we actually have to do it now. Goodness gracious. Yeah. People, people are pretty good about selling themselves. Uh, you're, you're fantastic. You did a great job. You know, the one thing I really wanted to hear was was positive notes from you, and I heard a lot of them. The great David Haverty, thank you so much for joining us today. I, I know that we've been talking back and forth for months to get you on the show, yeah. and I'm so I'm so glad we got you on today. Uh, thank you so much for being on tonight, and have yourself a great weekend. Everybody, the great David Haverty, have a great weekend, buddy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Take care. Thanks, sir. All right, boys and girls, that was a great show. Oh, the music's playing. We had the Ryan T. Husk on here, the great Ryan T. Husk. Great guy. Star Trek world, Battlestar Galactic world, battling against each other in his world. He's going to play Wesley Crusher's father in a... The Star Trek Memorial. I can't wait to see that. What a great guy. What a great conversation. Please, please, please go watch Firefly. David Haverty, what a great guy. Funny, likable, affable. I like that guy a lot. Please look for these guys on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. 
People go to Instagram these days and make a whole thread of conversations. Incredible. Go to his Facebook page. Go to, go to everything you can. Look this guy up and appreciate their work. They're working really hard. When the Fever Breaks, made by Tymaine Clay. Look it up. You'll really enjoy it. Coming out soon. I had the great honor of producing that movie, and, and uh, I'm very proud. To all of you out there, thank you very much for listening today. Charles Carpenter, I hope you're having a great day. God bless you for walking for your father today for, for Alzheimer's relief. We love you, and we hope you're having a great day. Good day to all of you all as well. Remember, you're all very special. I know I say that every week, but it's true. You're very special. This world would not be the same without you. Stay positive. Listen to the people who I have on the show. Stay positive. Keep on going for your dream. Because if you don't, somebody else will. And you know they will. You have what you have. You have something to offer the world. And offer it. Everybody have yourself a great weekend. God bless you. I'm your host, Steve Pisa for Cinema Files Radio. I'll see you next week when we have another great guest. Cheers. Then, Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.